0: all we need is a little
1: understanding walk a mile in their shoes and if we keep our hearts open-minded we'll enjoy this wild ride called life and
0: if we keep
1: Enjoy this wild ride, this wild ride called life. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Truths We Hide podcast. It's Annette, your host. And I'm really excited because we have a guest who is up early for all of us coming from New Zealand, but his story is quite powerful because he is an alcoholic in recovery and he's obviously gone through hell, but he's here today to talk to us about how he's getting through it through the 12-step program, through his book, through his YouTube channel, and his podcast. I mean, it's just really amazing to me to see people come through in a positive light, even going through a, a huge storm. And so I can't wait for you to hear his story and learn from it and know that you are not alone in whatever you're going through, because there are people like him that are here to help you get through it. So, Please welcome Stephen Neff. Thank you so much, sir, for being on here.
0: It's an absolute honor and pleasure on my side. Thank you so much for creating a platform where we can pull away the masks and be honest with each other. And hopefully through that honesty can plant the seed in someone else to give them the power to change their lives.
1: Absolutely. I I really appreciate people like you who are willing to come on and share such a deep and personal part of your life because I know it wasn't easy, but I really appreciate you coming on here to share this with us. Mm -hmm. So tell us a a little bit about your background.
0: Well, born in 1966, a very beautiful year, may I say, uh, very nicely. I'm matured to perfection now, like a good old cheese, I would say. But that maturity came only because I, through my life, I went through some very dark times. And uh, it is a matter of fact that, yeah, I had an interesting relationship with alcohol. Initially, it started as a young man, around about 18 or so, when I went to university. I figured out that alcohol helps me a lot in order to lose my inhibitions, to be more relaxed, to feel stronger. And it was a beautiful, beautiful feeling. I loved it. Uh, It was just nice. And alcohol soon became a friend of mine. I called soon stayed with me, and we had good times uh, for a while. I must say, having said that, no good story comes without tribulations, and my tribulations were certainly there i had uh, I was the victim of a of a gang assault uh, when I was thirteen, and that certainly changed my life for good, not in a physical sense, but purely in an emotional sense. I was lucky enough I could uh, dodge a knife. I was lucky enough, uh, not for for any skills I had, it was just sheer luck. Whatever the universe had in plan, Uh, it it was not meant for me to die on that day. But uh, I was left bruised and battered and without front teeth, and so I, started healing within four weeks, I ended up starting to train martial arts with the German police. And I transformed myself from this naive, a little bit patchy, you know, 13 year old into a fighting machine, into a warrior. And I took great pride in that transformation at an early stage. So there I was, um, the lean, mean fighting machine, literally. I was already then showing the signs of PTSD, but I had reframed in my mind those signs and symptoms into something positive, and that stayed with me for most of my life and still is now that positive in the sense of turning the hypervigilance into a situational awareness to be present when it comes to everything around you, absolutely everything. And that that served me well as an anesthetist, because that's what I am today. Um, I've studied for well, I went to school for a quarter of a century and finally I'm a consultant anesthetist or anesthesiologist, uh, as you would call it in the United States. And in my job, I am aware of virtually everything. And that is great. That is great. That suits me well. And many of the other things I, I was able to reframe uh, in my mind. And that was one of my strengths because i've turned negative things into positive things i can make the most boring chore uh interesting by just reframing it and that's 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 good and and it's a nice thing but it also meant that i was not aware of the diagnosis of ptsd until literally last year when i suddenly had uh, a revelation but I'm, I'm, I'm jumping ahead uh, we'll talk about PTSD a bit later down the line I guess let's talk about the alcohol so bottom line is I yes I was getting successful I was working hard I was going nuts uh, for because I was a, a young man who was taking the world by storm I was a man who loved to achieve And that meant I was burning the candle on both ends and in the middle. And that meant that I didn't give myself time to learn about my emotions. That really only came in rehab seven years ago. Until then, I was going, going, going like the Energizer Bunny. And then my batteries ran out, I had a a burnout. When there were negative emotions, I rather used alcohol to drench them and to to wipe over them rather than actually deal with them and understand them and learn from them and about them. So it was a a very weird time because I was essentially emotionally retarded whilst there was this high functioning person out there from a emotional point of view i was actually an imbecile i was actually yeah i had no clue certainly how to deal with the negative emotions and that's when alcohol really really came in uh to help me not only become a crutch but to numb the pain
1: that's incredible i have spoken to a couple other of my friends who were a functioning alcoholic, and I had no idea the pain that they were going through, and I had no idea that they were actually functioning like that at all. And it took, you know, a with him, it was a family member that finally was like opened up his eyes to realize what the heck he was doing, and for you it sounds like you had you had that moment to where you had to finally figure out how you were gonna live right Mm -hmm. i mean how how do you get through that process did you have anybody that you could talk to about it did you decide that you needed to go to seek help with that that you had to go to rehab
0: Don't forget that alcoholism is defined as a lethal disease that, as its hallmark, has got the symptom that you absolutely believe that you don't need help. That is true for 95% of alcoholics. We drink dangerously, yet we are convincing ourselves and often those around us that we do not need help no, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine, don't you worry. Yet we are ridden by shame and guilt and the dark demons that drive us to drink, yet we do not seek help. And that was no difference, not different for me. I had, I was married to, I am married to a, a gorgeous woman called Lisa, uh, Lisa was quite a heavy drinker uh, for uh, some part of her life, mm-hmm. but then she found Jesus Christ. She turned her life around. Saw sought a bit of counselling, and um, yeah, she was she was turning sober. And often enough, as people do, they then become quite evangelical about that. And so they were no doubt in those next. I guess three years or so it was, Uh, it must have been hell for her because she was, once she dealt with some of her own demons, there were many others that still kept going. So she was what I call a white-knuckling drinker. Um, So a white-knuckling alcoholic, someone who had stopped drinking but who had not dealt with the underlying problems to the extent that, that we have done today. Let's phrase it like that. So no doubt there were many times when she must have been feeling so frustrated because I was still tr- keep drinking and I was still keep hiding it because that's what an alcoholic does we are hiding things in the morning you get up and you hide your hangover then you go to work and you hide your true emotions Then you're going to the bottle shop, but you're hiding that you're buying the alcohol. So you go to several bottle shops and supermarkets so that they don't get to know you too well. And you sort of think no one knows. And then you hide your drinking. Then you hide that you're drunk. Then you hide the evidence. And so on. I mean, it's a busy life. As an alcoholic, you're hiding a lot. You are 80% of your day is focused on alcohol. So, you know, it is... uh, hmm. So guys, if you're listening to that, and if that rings a bell, then, uh, hello, <laughs> time to listen, and time to say, okay, maybe that sounds too familiar, maybe let's do something about that.
1: Wow, I'm, I'm sitting here listening, and I, I think those of us who have different uh, addictions or illnesses like that, we do become a pro at hiding it really. Well. <laughs> because we think it's not a big deal. We, we <laughs> keep doing it and no one's going to know. And I don't need to tell anybody about it because I'm good. Mm-hmm. And so you took, you went to rehab mm. and you took just one day at a time, one step at a time, and so how how did that feel going through going through that the twelve step program
0: oh, um, the roller coaster of emotions that is attached to that is unbelievable. It is in the first instance, my body was used to alcohol, so the first few days are bizarre because you do go through a withdrawal. Now, I did not have the classic uh, withdrawal as you would imagine it in, in a Hollywood film, but I certainly felt ready. I felt not right. Uh, my blood pressure was through the roof. Uh, I was certainly showing signs that my body said, oi, where's the alcohol? I, I I missed something here. And so that was the first few days. But also I remember this 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 deer in the headlights kind of feeling that you're just, you have no idea what happens now. You feel the shame, the guilt. You try to sort of make sense of it and you can't because uh, for the time being, the, healing had not yet started but here i was walking into this rehab facility and sitting there with three other inmates who just had arrived and mm-hmm. we sort of try to suss each other out and we try to sort of think what's going on here and ah, uh, it was a very strange thing the first day and i write in uh, about that in in my book my steps to sobriety And um, it is it's just yeah y- you just you're just Gobsmacked, you're just sitting there like, oh my god! You try to pretend, and you still have got your mask on. But no, it is when they are kind enough to take your uh, your uh, luggage to your room. Well, no, they are not taking it to your room. They're taking it to go meticulously through your luggage to make sure you haven't smuggled any drugs and any alcohol in there. You basically hand in your dignity at the front door, and that's exactly what you need to do. That's exactly what rehab does. They strip you bare and really help you to look at yourself naked, warts and all. No more masks. No more bullshit. And that became intoxicating. The first day that I actually spelled out, Hi, I'm Stefan. I'm an alcoholic. Wow. That was painful yet liberating. And for me, I had a lot of resentments about work situations and about dealing with institutions that I felt were, were bullying me and were harming me, etc. And I guess to a certain degree, that was true. Uh, but it takes two to tango. And that's something I had to learn in, in, in rehab that essentially, yes, there was a lot of resentment. There was a lot of bullying going on. There was a lot of trauma going on. But at the same token, yeah, I had a role to play in that. That's step four on that, On that, uh, if someone is counting out there. Okay. So I was, <laughs> I was actually going soon through a beautiful roller coaster where I suddenly could speak up because I was by contract bound to, to be quiet. Yet here I was in a protected environment where I could actually be honest And that initially I became like a bloody canary. Everyone and his dog got the story because I finally could tell my side of things. And it was just beautiful, beautiful. But then very soon, probably within the end of the first week or start of the second week, my case manager sat down with me and asked me, please write a letter to that institution. Go into detail, go into everything, and you tell them. And oh boy, did I sit down, I wrote this letter and uh, the next meeting I had with her, I was all proud and came in with this letter, here you go, come on, let's talk, let's talk, resentment. And she said, she had a quick look at it, maybe five seconds of that. Then she folded it, put it aside and said, cool, now let's talk about you, uh, but, 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 no, 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 let's talk about you. And that was the start really of my healing once I put the obvious things away and started to look at what else was going on in my life, what else were the drivers of my addictive behavior, what were the reasons, what was I feeling. And it's really all about emotions. It's the emotions that drive you. It's what's happening below your conscious level. It's the, 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 all these the limbic system, the amygdala, all these weird and wonderful structures that are deep in our reptilian brain and that are, are, are creating the emotions and then with the emotions as a background, create therefore the actions or the drivers for the actions. So if you're angry as hell about someone, well, you just react. Because that's what an alcoholic does. Your wife says something that you don't like, and then she goes, and within no time you have got a a third world war, and, and things are not right. And then, in comparison, fast forward seven years, it's virtually impossible for my wife and me to have a fight nowadays, because as soon she as she goes, I say. Ooh. darling, I love you. Um, what's really going on? Have you had breakfast? Have you drunk any water? <laughs> Did you not sleep well? Or are you worried about your finances or what is going on? Oh, yeah, okay. And it's the same other way around. It's it's virtually impossible for us to fight because we have learned the skills and we have learned to ask why is someone saying something rather than respond to it on a, on a primal level. Um, so... Here you go. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful journey. And that's already a glimpse to those of you who are still out there in the fros of, of shame, guilt, resentment due to either your addictions or due to other, other beliefs that you can actually overcome them and that you can actually be the person that you truly wish to be. But it takes bloody hard work. Let's not be stupid about that. It is not something that falls into your lap and you can just, oh, yeah, okay. I read one self-help book and then, ah, it's all turning to beautiful sunshine. And, and, ah, yeah, no, (laughs) it doesn't work like that.
1: No, absolutely not. You are so right. And I really love the fact that you stated the communication aspect between you and your wife. I think it's so important and but it's it's very difficult as well to learn how to do that. I mm. you know, I spent so much time in the military and I thought I knew how to communicate because I was a leader and a soldier and I I, you know, I knew how to do this. But at home
0: uh-huh.
1: <laughs> something I would lose my mind. I, it's like I had this this trigger. I, I don't know. It's just everything that just, you know, that I went through and I couldn't communicate at all. I would just lash out. And so it took me years to finally say, or to finally be able to use my voice to say, this is why I'm mad. Mm-hmm. This is what is wrong. This mm-hmm. is what I don't like. Whereas before I would storm off into my room and say, don't bother me. You don't understand. So. <laughs> <laughs> It, it it's so interesting to me, and, and it's I'm so glad you said that because mm. it is hard, I, and I think it's with so many different things in our life, it's so hard to be the bigger person, and oh,
0: that's fine But the only reason that I can be that today is that I have learned through humility to become someone that I love, my new me. I love myself and I protect myself fiercely, and therefore I've gained a new backbone, a, a new set of balls that are very different from the hot and from the, the the traumatized victim that I was in the past. So there's still there are still the same emotions are, are happening, but this time I keep them in check. This time, this time I choose how to react. And, but that is, that is practice. That is just, is, is, it is the same as if you practice a maneuver and you practice it over and over again until your squad and your, your team is doing exactly how you want them to respond to a frontal assault or to, a, to an ambush that comes from the left, things like that. So you, you, there are certain uh, procedures that you put in place and practice and practice and practice. And if you do that in, in, with your team, then you're getting better and better. And if you do that with your emotions, you will get better and better. It's as simpler step. But you need to have that insight and you need to have someone who guides you. Because it is it is very, very hard. I mean, here I was. I went through a lot of things in my life. There were bouts of depression. There were bouts where my parents rotted away, literally from cancer, within two years. Uh, these were horrendous times where I worked really hard, worked 16-hour days for much of my life, and ended up in one burnout after the other. And these were these were hard times. But you, um, it, I then went into rehab, I learned all these techniques, and you think you've got it sussed, you think you've got it sorted. Then I tell you, last year, a friend of mine uh, was a special forces medic in the past, so his PTSD caught up with him, and he really pretty much lost it. And he was working with me, and it was uh, not nice to see. And one day he uh, was away for a bit, and, uh, not long, a few days, came back and he appeared to be a different man. And I said, are you okay? And he said, yeah, yeah it's going to be all all right. And the way he sounded it, I thought, oh shit, is he going for, for the wrong path there? Is he trying to finish himself off? And... He said, no, 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 I've, I've, uh, I've seen someone who has helped me and um, I will be right. And I said, bullshit, absolute bullshit. You've been away, what, two, three days, well, a week maybe, and you've seen someone look at you. And in my mind, I went for the diagnostic criteria of PTSD. Here you are waking up three o'clock in the morning. Here you are hypervigilant. Here you are bang, bang, bang. And in my mind rattled them off. And suddenly, the moment I rattled them off, I said, hang on, I've just described my life. I've just described my emotions. I just described that I wake up at three o'clock or four o'clock to the, to the second. And my, my brain plays me something that happened 30 years ago, and not the trauma, not the, not the assault. It, it plays to me how I was nasty to a former girlfriend or how I treated someone, or the wrong sentence I said. And it gives me like, a, like, a, like someone punches you literally into the gut. And I, I respond like that. My body goes, oh, it's, it's literally a, a, a visceral reaction. Uh, and it is brutal. And suddenly, that was last year, and suddenly I realized, hang on, what he is going through, I described. I I I am. And I thought, oh shit. And so I that was the first revelation. And then the second revelation was, okay, let's oh observed him. And truly, over a, a week period, he was suddenly turning around. And within a, a month, he was back to his normal self. And I thought, what the F and so I said, okay, who did you see? What did you do? Well, I've seen this and this person. And she is a, a life coach, but she does hypnosis and self-hypnosis. And I said, fine, give me the telephone number because I need to suss that out. And I went to her. Uh, Nikki, if you're listening, you are a fantastic girl. Um, she sat me down and for two hours. We talked. And uh, next time I came there, she actually Uh, helped me and, and introduced me to hypnosis and I with the mixture of her reframing my subconscious and with her with just speaking to her and analyzing what was going on my conscious brain was able to to get this aha moment and it took me three four sessions with her and then suddenly the nightmares were no longer there. Suddenly it was, I mean, I get them still, maybe one in 10 days or so, which is to be expected. One in 10 nights is a shit night um, for everyone, everyone in this world. So that's the sort of a statistic, good to know. So please don't go for 100% resolution and consider yourself a failure if suddenly one night you have got again a shit night. No, that's, that's normal, guys. So now it suddenly, it it turned and I was lucky because not only had I I somehow constructively dealt with the PTSD throughout my life, uh, I was now uh, able to just put the finishing touches on it so that suddenly some of the symptoms of it, I could dial down and that was beautiful. This three o'clock in the morning awakening, oh, fuck off, honestly. This is, this is no, I hate it. I hate, that was the worst part of it, honestly. The hypervigilance is good for me. It is. And, and, and to a certain degree, I mean, honestly, it is, I'm going through this kind of soul searching at the moment because I do like the hypervigilance. I consider that a good thing. I walk into a room. I assess it within a fraction of a second. What are the vibes? What is? Where are the exits? Where can I sit so that my back is protected? Um, Which is the biggest threat in the room? Kind of a thing. That's normal. And I do that without even thinking much nowadays. But it suits me well. That is a healthy attitude because the world is a heap of shit. There's so much crap going on. So you can't just say, ooh, let's switch off all that vigilance. Just numb me with any kind of drug that you can so that I no longer show my PTSD symptoms and forget about all the nasty world. Because the next thing is you're dead because some idiot drove off the road straight into you, uh, or someone indeed considers violence as the solution to his problems. And the next thing you know is you're in an emergency department or you're dead. Uh, it is what it is. This is a shit world out there. And I find that the most intriguing part at the moment of my life to get the balance right, to get to to keep the fighter in me alive and in actual fact, rekindle him to actually say, Hey man, you suited me well. And why the hell am I now this overweight? Well, actually morbidly obese 50 something year old, uh, who is fed up with his current life in from a physical sense, why not bring the, the fighter back on and actually drop the weight, and, and use the, the fighting mentality to the positive uh, side. I think that is it is an, a balance that each and every one of us needs to achieve, needs to find out. The negative there, PTSD is horrible, and it's certainly complex PTSD, and it is, wow. Oh, what a bloody chameleon, because it can take any form and color. And there's probably not, not one person who is exactly the same as the other person. We know so little really about it. Why do people get PTSD? It is, you have got people who go through horrendous trauma and nothing happens. And others, for them, when you look at it, I mean, for me, that's probably classified as a minor assault. Well, now it was probably a bit more because I I managed to get the guy, the gang leader, into jail for three years uh, because he was a nasty piece of work. Um, So I testified against him. And so it was still, it was minor compared with, let's say, a battlefield experience. But you don't need to be a soldier on a battlefield where your friends get ripped apart in front of your eyes. Take major trauma, uh, major road, uh, motor vehicle accidents, as you call them in your neck of the woods, um, the road traffic accidents, you know, if you're involved in one, 30% of people will have PTSD. Take sexual assault. Uh, it is the, the figures there are, are quite dramatic and it depends to a certain degree how many times you were involved. But even even the feeling of being cornered in a lift by someone who makes an unwanted advance, that's that's not rape, that's just something where you felt powerless, hopeless, and feared for your life. Well that can be life changing forever. So therefore, we don't know. Even smaller trauma can cause the most horrendous PTSD, and the the symptoms are not all the same. The PTSD of one person might be a, quite quite hidden, quite different from some from those of of someone else. So it's it's a complex issue, a scary issue, a confusing issue. So whatever you feel, guys out there, it's. You're not alone. I think that is the key thing to know. It's such a common thing. As I said, one third of people who have got a road road traffic accident will have PTSD. Will they tell you about it? No, because we try to put masks on. We try to disguise things. We try to keep our mouth shut because either we we feel ashamed. You shouldn't feel like that. I'm a man. I've got balls to the ground. I drag my knuckles, you know, all that, that shit mentality. Uh, and there are enough girls who are saying, no, I've got ovaries, move your balls aside. Ha ha, no, 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 I show you, I can do mummy and working woman and everything else because I'm superwoman. I have, you know, okay, you get the ideas.
1: You are so, you are so right. Um, until we can only play that role until we explode. And so that's correct. (laughs) And I think that's why it's so important to have these conversations and ask for the help. If we, you know, when we need it, we all need some kind of help. We can't do everything ourselves, even though we think we can, it's, it's okay to say, I I need, I need help. I'm going to lose it.
0: Absolutely. And I think that is the sign of real maturity. That is the sign of real insight. And then people can help you. If you hide things, they only get worse and worse and worse. And then it might come to a point where you are beyond help. For example, in a workplace environment, uh, if you had announced earlier on that you're not feeling right, people might have protected you in the sense of, I give an example now. As an anaesthetist, I lead uh, a team in theaters. So a the surgeon and me are basically res- are, are dealing with many other type A personalities who make the theater the theater environment. But it is, I have fostered certainly in the last two, three years, I have fostered a, a very much a climate of speaking out of being honest about what's going on and nowadays it's not uncommon that someone comes to me and says look today I'm not really not feeling right I'm 80% because my mom just went into the rest home and I'm, I'm completely I'm, I'm overwhelmed with that and things like that and that's beautiful because it's heartwarming that this person has developed a trust in you as a leader, to come to you and say, hey, look, I'm not feeling right. Can you keep an eye on me kind of thing? And that makes my life so much easier because I don't have to think, why the fuck is she uh, doing X or why the damn is he not, not paying attention to Y, but rather, oh, okay, because you're sidetracked, you're, you're, uh, you're, your emotions are not, not helping you today, uh, at least in your working life. And that is that is cool. That is so cool to actually have, have people who have developed first uh, ability to recognize what's going on and then the ability to communicate uh, effectively with those around them who need to know or who ought to know, shall I say. And it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Now, there will be times in our lives, no doubt, when we feel as the victims, when we feel as the circumstances are just so such bitches that wow, you know, it is it is what it is. You just have to roll with the punches. And you might feel resentful and full of anger and full of things. But I I do I do very much subscribe to Choco Willing and his his extreme ownership. Uh, are you aware of the book? Do, have you had the chance to read it now? Okay. Joker Willink is a, is a U.S. Navy SEAL who has been leading uh, the SEAL teams um, for quite a while uh, in uh, the early 2000s. And he is now in private and has written several books, amongst them Extreme Ownership and The Dichotomy of Leadership. And it is These are the most beautiful books to read, and I took them very much to heart. Because what he is saying, what he's preaching, is that you are responsible for whatever happens around you as a leader. And if someone fucks up uh, in your team, then it is really your responsibility. Because you either didn't teach him right or did not provide him with the tools to deal with or did not provide him with the the. Inside that he needs to speak out if he's not right kind of a thing and that's really really beautiful and I, I nowadays take that very much as my gospel and i can do so because not that i want to carry the burden of the world but i recognize that it takes two to tango so i can't just put all the blame onto someone else or so the circumstances because i've allowed the circumstances to develop to a certain degree so there's always a a kind of role that I play in whatever is happening. And that is really powerful. And that's, that's for example, one of the the big lessons that you do in step four. Step four means that after you have admitted that things are not right, after you believe that there is some help out there, and after you have sought help, so steps one, two, and three, you then take an inventory. You then actually sit down and say, what the hell is going on? And as part of that inventory, you look at resentments. What really pisses you off? Which person have done you wrong? And that's where you start to write all beautiful lists. And okay, Joe is an asshole because he did that to me then and then. and That's how it made me feel. Cool. That's one list. And you make a long list of these kind of things. And then at some stage, a bit down the line, you come back to that list and say, cool. Now let's add another column. How was my involvement in that situation? Yes, he was an asshole. Yes, he did that to me. He shouted at me. And it made me feel awful. I was angry. So why did he shout at you? Did you say something? Did you behave in a certain way? Did you, what was your contribution to it? And suddenly think, oh, hmm, okay. Yeah, I, I didn't think about that. And because our brain is good. Our brain is, is, is always modulating and modifying our environment to our own needs. Our belief system is powerful, powerful. As an example, my, my wife went through a nasty postnatal depression. Now, I wrote about that in in my book, My Steps to Sobriety. So I wrote that chapter uh, about postnatal depression, how to recognize, how to deal with it. And I gave it to her to read. And she came back to me, daggers in her eyes, quite angry, because in her mind, it had not played out like that. Her mind had completely changed things. Now there's and that's where I really learned there are three sides to a story, his, hers, and the truth, because our brain wants to modify the memories so that it is less painful for us uh, less less damaging to us, i guess uh, a bit more a bit nicer as far as our own contribution is concerned, and it taught me a lot when we both discussed her memories, my memories and it was just a very, very intriguing. And it was another opportunity for the two of us to grow in our own relationship because this was trauma that had not been dealt with. So it was good that it flared up then. It was good that we, that we actually brought it out and talked about that white elephant in the room that, we, that I hadn't even known that was still there. But here you go. That is, that is what rehab does to you, what recovery does to you. The only thing that changes in recovery is everything, okay? So you learn how to deal with your emotions. You learn to anticipate new challenges. You try to put protections in place. You actually deal with the the thoughts before they even arise. You learn what causes cravings, what causes uh, feelings of, of wanting to use again or Or do the the addictive behavior, whatever you were addicted to. You learn to recognize these things, and that makes you a very powerful and dangerous being because you have gone through hell and you kept going. You have learned how to survive, and you have bullshitted so much in your own life that you can recognize a bullshitter from miles. Okay, so that makes you very powerful. You look at someone and think, yeah, right. You try, try again. Uh, so it is, it's actually a very cool, cool place to be. No, very good. I love my life. Utterly, utterly, I love my life.
1: That is so amazing. I, I, and I think that's funny because I, I often heard the, the term or the phrase, you can't bullshit a bullshitter. So,
0: oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I've learned that in my life as well. But uh, (laughs) where, so where can people find your book and where can they find you? Because Mm. you, I just love how you have stated you love your life. Mm. Even after everything you've gone through, you've learned so much to be able to be here today to say that you love your life. And I think so many more people need to to hear that. Mm.
0: Well, I've put my story and the lessons that I've learned uh, from it into my book, which is called My Steps to Sobriety. It's published on Amazon as a hard copy and as an e-book and very soon as an audiobook. I have decided that I did not just want to write another book that then just sits somewhere in the recesses of the darkness of the Internet. Now I actually said, no, I want to go out there. and. I started doing a few videos and uh, that quickly grew over the last three quarters of a year into a YouTube channel. Uh, again, under the, the name, My Steps to Sobriety. So I'm on YouTube, I'm on Instagram, I run a podcast, all My Steps to Sobriety. Now in there, it's, I don't just talk alcohol because alcohol is just a symptom of trauma. And when I say alcohol, yes, that was my personal addiction. But there are so many addictions out there. Because if you imagine it, imagine in your mind a big tree, and you have got the trunk of the tree going up into the sky, and then you have got the big branches. Now, each of these big branches is an addiction. It might be the chemical addictions and all the drugs that you might take in order to numb your pain or feel different. Then there are the behavioral addictions. Then there are the eating disorders, the sex addiction, the gambling, all the other things that you do to make you feel different. So these are all the addictions as the branches of the tree that you see. If you come back down the trunk and go actually underneath the the surface, you find the roots. And these roots is really what you need to deal with. That's the PTSD, that's the depression, the anxiety, the negative emotions, all those kind of things that drive our addictions. So if you just keep pruning the tree, well, guess what? A new branch will grow. And it's the same, unfortunately, with addiction. You need to deal with the underlying the underlying reason. And that's what I do in my YouTube channel. I bring on guests that look into the underlying problems. Yes, some of them have been good going alcoholics. Others have been, uh, had no addiction whatsoever, but they suffered from the consequences of the trauma and now help others to deal with it. So I speak a lot to other life coaches from all areas of life. And when it comes to treatment of, of problems, there is not one solution. There are, there are, there's the medical side. So that might mean behavioral therapies. That might mean the medications, etc. So yes, we will talk about that. But there are so many other ways to heal and to learn. So the mindfulness, the learning about healthy habits, That's what I'm quite big in. In my book, My Steps to Sopriety, uh, in step seven, sort of the middle part of the book, I go through all these important habits and give you action plans to deal with the hydration, the nutrition, the sleep, uh, all the other things that are important for you to assure that your body knows it's looked after. It doesn't need to go into survival mode because it has been starved from water or has been starved from uh, the proper nutrition that it needs, uh, that it is sleep deprived and is in survival mode, all these kinds of things. So if you actually figure out those things that show very similar signs to PTSD, for example, well, let's deal with them first. Let's look at what your body needs and then deal with the emotions. If you do it the other way around, if you just keep getting pissed and then wake up with hungover and anxiety, well, yeah. <laughs> Tell me how that goes, okay? <laughs> Come back to me in a year. Um, so no, that won't work. So that's 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 a big part of my book is first the habits. And then I think the latter part of the book is actually all about living a life so full and rich that that it's that you that it's impossible not to feel joy and passion and full of life because I go through all the challenges that inevitably you will face. There will be bouts of depression. There will be waves of anxiety washing over you. There will be uh, financial difficulties. There will be, shit will happen. That's what life is all about. Shit will happen. Now, you can either let it destroy you or you can create opportunities to grow from them. But in order to do so, you need to know. So going back to the, the, the leadership in, in the army uh, as, a, as a possibility, if you go on patrol, well, there will be things happening. There will people be shooting from the front. There might be the, the risk of a, of a vehicle-borne uh, IED. There might be other things. So there are, you can create a number of risks in, in your setting, and can analyze them and then put standing operating procedures in in order to help with that. Well, why not do the same in your life? You know that financial difficulties will happen. Why not learn about doing a budget? Why not learn to see, well, how can you get rid of some things that maybe you don't need and that gives you a bit of cash and an emergency buffer how why not learn how to do how to create or how to change your hobby into something that can bring in some money because you just don't know with covid or any other existential threat you might lose your job well what's your plan b what's your plan c these kind of things so that's, that's action plans standing operating procedures that you would do in probably every job nowadays why not do the same in your life and that's again that's that's a big part of what i do to actually talk to guests about that and that's a big part of my book it's really uh, trying to arm you with the awareness of where you need to look in your own life and then to, then I give you action plans that worked for me or that are common sense, but you need to adapt them, of course, for your own life. You need to deal with your own uh, specific set of circumstances to make it really applicable.
1: No, I, I love that, and I think it's so important, and you hit on a, a lot of good points that we do. We need to focus on the underlying and not just cover on the top. We, we need to get deeper because it'll never... You'll never find that true peace that you need in your life. So it's so important. I'm so glad that, you, that you're doing this. This has been great. I, I really appreciate your, your time and your willingness to want to speak up about this and now to help other people through it because there's so many of us out there who just need to find our people. We need to find the ones that have gone through it because they are the ones that truly understand it. So, I, it's been, yeah, I really appreciate it. So
0: and, that's, and that's the power of the group. May I just do a finishing sentence there, please? That's the power of the group. You need to find your tribe. You need to find your group because you need to, to uh, surround yourself with people where you are the dumbest person in the team, okay? Find those people who can teach you. It's no good if you keep pretending that you're the leader, but you have no idea where to go. Um, So you need to have other leaders around you that have been in the dark place that you call home and that can show you how to get out of there. That are the torches in the night, that are the candles of hope out there. And these people you need to find. If you're drinking, there are so many organizations out there. Uh, in my case, a 12-step-based program has helped me a lot. and But it was not uh, the religious thing that that it can be. It was a very common-sense approach, and I write about that in my book. So I've translated the kind of religious path into a secular, common-sense how do you deal with a failing business kind of approach? And that worked really well for me. Other people, they don't like that. They, the simple fact that someone says God might put a big spanner in the works. Now, God for me is a group of orderly drunks. It's a group of druggies. It's a, it's a bunch of people who actually have got their shit together and can now teach me what to do. That is how I see a 12-step program. If that doesn't, if you don't like that, that God or the twelve steps, if you have got feelings one way or the other, there is smart recovery out there. There's life ring out there. There's women in recovery out there. There are uh, recovery programs specifically for LGBTQ uh, plus um, or non non non-binary people. Uh, There's. It doesn't matter what skin color you are, what religion you have got. It doesn't matter if you're a Muslim or a Sikh or whatever. There are programs out there for you. And guess what? You're not the only one who is not supposed to drink from a religious point of view, uh, yet is hiding his addiction behind the scenes. It is so bloody common. You know, among Sikh in the UK, 25% drink Uh, alcohol and drink far too much Yet it's a huge taboo to actually talk about that in the Sikh community so all these kind of things guys find your tribe and and listen just shut your mouth if we don't need to have another word from you actually use these ears listen to what other people did and then speak out I think that's that's a really really cool thing to do try it
1: you are so right (laughs) Thank you so much for that. And we do, we need to listen. Sometimes we just need to keep our mouth shut and open up our ears and our minds so that we can take in all that knowledge from people who know. So yes, thank you so much. I will add all this information to his book and his YouTube channel in the podcast guide and in the show notes. So I thank you very much again for sharing it and for everything that you're doing.
0: It was an honor. Thank you very much for having me on your show, and thank you again for providing a platform out there for people who feel feel bruised and battered and don't know where to go with their pain. And by simply listening to you and listening to me today, hopefully we can make this world a little bit of a better place, one interview at a time, and uh, plant those seeds that hopefully grow into very beautiful, strong beings
1: absolutely thank you cool.
0: look after yourself bye
1: thank you for listening to the truth we hide podcast created and founded by your host annette the founder of a wild ride call life also a big thank you to all of our sponsors for each and every episode that is aired. We have so much support from them and all of our listeners. You can find more information at www.awildridecalllife.com.